When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Bulls fans, welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ and thank you for joining me yet again. I'm not on my own today, joined by my old friend Morton Jensen. Morton, how are you doing my friend? Hi Mark, thanks for having me on. It uh, uh, It's always lovely to, to get out of bed and within five minutes recording with you. I love that. That's that's how <laughs> my morning sh- should start. Look, I'll, I'll, I'll say that I'm really glad that you're on this podcast, and I do genuinely mean that whenever you jump on, but probably more so than any other time. I was very <laughs> glad that you picked up my invite to actually come on. So originally, I'd asked you to come on. You weren't available, which is more than fine. I understand that you, you know you can't always bend to me, and uh, you know, you've got your own plans and those sorts of things. But after the day I've had with uh, <laughs> online about the Bulls and them skipping out on this European uh, NBA Combine, uh, I was very frustrated with not the Bulls themselves, but maybe more so the responses that I got back from my position of not necessarily being too pleased with the Bulls for, for missing out on that cap. And I was prepared to go maybe an hour on this podcast, ranting and raving, as I typically do on my soapbox on this podcast, about this whole event and maybe not the event itself, but just how people responded to me about or how they defended the Bulls. So, the reason why I'm happy you're on, Morton, is that I'm glad to have someone else to bounce this off off their chest with and you know, just make sure I'm not this lone crazy person out there that is seemingly going against the Bulls. I'm hoping that my position at least is somewhat uh, justified, but you know, you may disagree with me, but we shall see. So uh, thank you for coming on, my friend. And like I said, I've had a heated heated day. <laughs> I, I get I get too I get too razzled on online. I, I don't know why I, I um I said to, when I woke up this morning, I said to myself, I'm not going to get heated about this topic. I'm just going to let it slide. I'm not going to go online and talk too much about it. But what did I do, Morton? What did I do? <laughs> well, you're an emotional guy. And that's I'm a very positive emotional. trait. Yeah, that's a positive trait. You're, you're in touch <laughs> with your feelings, Mark. You know, and not a lot of men are that way. I see it as a good thing. <laughs> oh, it's sports, man. It, it does stupid things to us. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it does. Even us... 
even us manly men, and I'm certainly not one of them, but uh, <laughs> oh, <me laughs> even either. those types, uh, it, it brings out the worst in us uh, on some occasions. But look, let's get into it. Let's spend about 10, 5, 10 minutes on it because it's probably the latest tidbit of news that relates to the balls. I also want to go through some mailbag questions that I did get through from some listeners as well. So we'll spend the bulk of the time answering those questions. But at the top of the show, let's at least talk about the Bulls skipping out on this European combine. They were one of, well, sorry, they were the only team that skipped out on attending this combine. It was sort of put in the article there by Jonathan Gavoni that that they didn't necessarily want to pay the $10,000 to attend this combine held in Europe. I, I believe it was the first of its kind held offshore, the Bulls didn't want to pony up the 10K and attend, which I don't think is the, the sole reason as to why they didn't want to go whilst we love playing the cheap card against the Bulls and, and it's a running narrative against the Bulls. I don't think that's the only reason why they didn't want to attend, but of course it is funny that when you know when it comes to finances, the Bulls are very cheap in that sense, but that's not really the part that annoyed me, but um, I'll hold my takes for the time being mm. and I'd be interesting to get your thoughts on it because I didn't necessarily see you online today, or at least online, going too hard on it, unlike myself. Um, but uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to get your high-level thoughts on uh, what you thought of the news from uh, from Gavoni and, and anyone else, basically, who reported it. Well, actually, I was online regarding that whole thing. I was uh, DMing with my good friend Brian Toporek about it, and we, okay. were, we were laughing our asses off at the <laughs> level of stupidity this is. So... Um, it's the 2018 NBA Global Camp, first of its kind in Italy. $10,000 fee to enter. 29 teams did so. And I, I would just like to say right off the bat, some of the NBA teams are not in great financial states. And yet they deemed it necessary to pony up the 10K to go over there. The Bulls are in excellent financial shape. There's a reason we call them the financial champions. Um, so them not handing over that fee and later on arguing that, oh, well, we trust our scouting department. We don't need that additional information. It's just such a worrying trade. I mean, it took me back to when they sold off the draft rights to Jordan Bell to Golden State. Um, there is this idea from their point, from their side, it seems, that, you know, we don't need to to utilize these assets or these uh, possibilities and opportunities that we have to look at young players, like we can, we can, go, we can be fine without it. And I think they might have gotten a little bit high off their hit with Laurie Markkinen. Like now they think they're kind of invincible. They didn't even have an interview with him, mind you. What if he had busted? Like I'm, I'm obviously glad he didn't. I mean, I don't, I don't wish any player to bust ever because I love the NBA as a whole and I think the product is essential. But what if he had busted and and he and they had done this same thing by skipping out on on this camp? Like that would have been even worse. I think the Bulls are just, as they usually are, so certain in their own ways that nothing else is going to change their minds. And it just shows that it, that franchise, they have some serious problems ahead. I mean, at the top of it, like ownership, management they're not going to change. And I don't know why so many Bulls fans are expecting that to change with this rebuild. Like, what's where's that mindset coming from? Like, this is not, these are not new players at the top seats. Like, these are the same players we've had for, what, the past 12, 15 years? Yeah, 15 years. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and and the, I guess the, the issue for me, 
and, and it's more so that the Bulls skipped an event. And and it's sort of... And, and you mentioned the Jordan Bell thing. And, and to me, there are a lot of similarities in this sense with whereby those that defend the front office or the Bulls, Bulls ownership even, against selling of Jordan Bell, they do so by saying, well, Jordan Bell's not that... Actually, he's not actually that good a player. He's someone that was taken in the second round. He can't shoot. He can't score. He can't do much. He's an undersized center. He's more of a power forward, etc., etc. So they come up with these reasons as to why Jordan Bell isn't a good player. And whilst that may be true, I don't necessarily agree with that, but that could be true you know, over time. That's not the well, issue. It, it, it never was the issue. The yeah. issue here was the thinking or the lack of thinking of process over results. That's the right. issue here. It, it's not about the result of Jordan Bell being a good or bad player. It's not about you know, a player from this European camp ending up being a potential first-round pick down the line and the Bulls missing out on it. It's the issue of process versus results in the sense of the Bulls skipping out on an event where all every other single team in the league attended because they thought it may be worthwhile to go there, scout, and do some things where they may be able to pick up on some extra information that they may not have otherwise had. Now, the right. Bulls obviously have a great scouting team uh, in Europe or a, a, a scouts that sort of track Europe throughout the year. So they deserve credit for what they do in terms of scouting in Europe. But that doesn't absolve them from, I guess, uh, going over there and, and going to Italy. So this was held in Italy and actually being part of every other team and just you know going over the 81 players that were invited. There was 15 or players ranging from 15 to 23 years of age surely there would have been some benefit to going. There, there was no disadvantage to go. And, mm. and that's what I don't understand but, you know, as to why fans would defend the decision not to go. It, it doesn't make sense to me as to why fans of a team who obviously want the Bulls to improve, those fans should be hoping that uh, their, their, their front office and their team is doing everything they possibly can, exploring every possible avenue right. to improve their team and that's where this whole process uh, over results thinking comes in mind. But I, I just don't understand how people defend this decision. And I've received some interesting comments today. Uh, for example, one of the ones I got back today was they, they needed all their scouts on deck here to look after who they were, who they were going to potentially work out and draft at number seven mm-hmm. and number yeah. 22. <laughs> that was one of the uh, defenses I got back today, which again is just ridiculous defense. Uh, and that's it, Paxson's it, defense. Like, that's what Paxson's yeah, It's crazy. Yeah. Like, if that's the actual defense, doesn't that sort of cause a, an extended issue in the sense that if the Bulls needed every single hand on deck in the US to scout those who are potentially going at number seven and number 22, does that mean the Bulls are understaffed where they can't simultaneously scout guys in the US whilst yeah. also having a look at the guys in Europe, who may be options for them down the line. Isn't that an issue in itself? Yes, it is. And <laughs> I believe we've read before that the Bulls have one of the smallest scouting staffs in the league. Yes, so yes. That, that would, this would, would, would qualify. Look, I, I think that was just a horrible excuse. You have the Suns with two picks and one, one in 16, also holding workouts for two players. You have the Clippers holding 12th and 13th, also holding workouts for two players. You know they still went, so what's what's the excuse here? I I don't think any excuse that they can make up is going to be valid. Honestly, it, it's a tremendous problem. 
uh, and and it's just it's just a sign of more of these um you know excuses where they try to speak down to fans and speak down to to journalists and where they just like they they believe deep down in themselves that these excuses are completely legitimate and that they will be automatically accepted and i just i can't for the life of me like i i've studied pr and media and all that if i was a pr director working with the bulls i would have a laundry list of things that i could point to and show them and tell them you know you have a major PR problem because of the way that you speak to people outside of the organization. You you treat them as if they're dumb. Like, we all know that that excuse is BS. We all know that this team would benefit greatly from going to this this camp. Every team would. Like, Stefan No uh, from The Athletics said that there were kids there as young as 15. And then the, the Bulls, you know, use Ivaka Dukan uh, or Ivica Dukan as as some sort of reasoning for oh well you know he's got his finger on the pulse one guy <clears throat> excuse me can't have the finger on the pulse for what fifty young players that's impossible you need an advanced scouting team of more than one person and more than two more than five and seven probably I mean preferably into double digits to really have a strong sense of all the guys that are available out there. Um, you know globally and the bulls just putting it all all on one man is just it's so bulls it really is and and look Dukan is is a great scout he's obviously got a proven track record the bulls have done well they've drafted really good players from europe most notably tony kukoc and obviously later on uh nikola miritic andres nocioni also came over and was uh you know, not a great bull, but it was a really good role player for the Bulls as well. They have a history of bringing guys over from overseas who become very good players for the team. Larry Markinen himself, our best player at the moment, spent the formative years of his basketball career in Europe. So they have a good track record with European players. So whilst I accept Dukan does a great job for the Bulls, it's also ignorant to suggest that he, I guess, hasn't potentially missed someone or he may have seen someone. Right. Some 15-year-old, maybe in October, who didn't necessarily impress at that point. But maybe that kid has grown three, four inches. Maybe he's worked on his game a little bit. And, you know, Dukan hasn't necessarily seen him since. Maybe if he saw him now here, or the Bulls mm-hmm. saw him here and got a second opinion, maybe that changes perspective. I don't know. But I don't know. It's just, it's very frustrating to... Uh, again, it's not it's not the Bulls skipping this event that really bothered me. It's the fans who defended the Bulls from doing this. And, and that's the part that really bothers me, I guess. And, right. and I guess that's why I got on my high horse today. But to a point that you raised around the PR perspective, and that was my first tweet around this whole thing today because, <laughs> like I said, to start off this show, I didn't want to get into it online because I just didn't want to deal with it. But here I am ranting about it on a, pod- a podcast how many hours later anyway. But... My first initial tweet about this whole subject was, from a PR perspective, if it only cost 10 grand to go, wouldn't you just go or send some low-level ranking bull scout to go to avoid this this um you know this whole narrative of the Bulls being cheap that they're the only team that didn't attend whilst all 29 other teams of which there are some of those teams who have just as good a track record in drafting European players as the Bulls. Wouldn't you just pay the ten grand to not get this whole cheap label or that narrative being restored a, a yep. year after you just sold a draft pick 
for cash, basically. Like that part oh, yeah. to me doesn't even make sense. But that's that's the part of it. I don't think the Bulls expected that this would come out. I think they're so inept when it comes to understanding like where things come from and how things are going to be reported. I I wouldn't be shocked at all if they declined that offer, didn't even think like didn't think one step ahead about the narrative that would pop up, and then suddenly, you know, you hear all the fans complaining about it, and they went, Oh, 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 they learned. Oh, that's tough. Let's go make a public, you know, comment. Like, they don't think those one step or two steps ahead. They're just like, they're doing it in the moment. It seems like the Bulls, if the NBA is a class, the Bulls is that emo kid that just stays <laughs> away from everything. Like, again, the only team that Voge is not locked into is the Bulls. Like, everything around surrounding the Bulls is just this closed off, we'll do it our way type of thing. Um, on some level, it doesn't even feel like they're a part of the NBA. It, it, they play their own game, and I, unless that game was working, I I mean, then I wouldn't have a problem with it. But it's not. It's not working. It's not a, a great system they have in place. And to your point, I mean, missing out on additional information, whether that be a camp, whether that be a, a guy who can get very cheap in the second round and see what you have there, or, or just the op- option of having an additional trade asset, like, they don't think in that way i mean it's it's uncanny like i'm still concerned that they're gonna do something really stupid with number 22 well yeah i mean that's always a possibility but fingers crossed they don't but you know let's probably segue out of this topic because i think we've ranted about it enough and um yeah it's something that i don't want to continue talking about because uh my blood pressure is just going to continue to rise and no one really (laughs) needs that and People are probably over-listening to me talking about this subject anyway. So you mentioned pick 22 there. Hopefully, they don't do anything silly with it. But let's transition into the mailbag questions that I did receive in relation to the draft. Many of those situated or the questions themselves being asked um, in, are in relation to pick 7 and pick 22. So let's transition and let's talk about something more positive And the first question I have here for us, Morton, is in relation to... Pick seven. So this one comes from Respect Yo Smelf from Reddit. So he asks, which draft draft prospect at pick seven do you think would help the most immediately, and which do you think would have the most long term value? All right, that's. I think the immediate help is Mikhail Bridges. I think he's the most NBA ready of the guys that are in that ballpark. But mm-hmm. I also think that he's the one with it, arguably the lowest ceiling. So long-term, you could argue he might not be that good um, as, as others. Like, he will still be good. I think if you look at the, the upside, you, you probably are looking at a Trey Young just because he can swing. Like, his, his floor is low, but his ceiling is sky high. I mean, it is, he could be fantastic. Um, I, I personally uh, lean towards the middle there. And, and I like Wendell Carter Jr. because I think his four is insanely high as well. I think he's the, the second most secure player in that, in that spot after Mikael Bridges. And I think the potential that he has has been grossly, um, been, been grossly underrated. I think he's got way more potential than people think. Uh, and and he's, he's just, he just turned 19. And for some reason, people would like to paint him as this guy who's a finished product. And that, that's, that's definitely not the case. Um, 
Like he sacrificed so much at Duke playing next to Marvin Backley, Grayson Allen, Travon Tuval, Gary Trent Jr. Um, I, I think he could come in and be the Bulls starting center for the next 12 years, no problem. And it wouldn't even surprise me if he caught a few all-star nods. Uh, is he this transcendent talent like a DeAndre Ayton? He's not. But again, picking at seven, it means you there's a different batch of players available than at the top of the draft, obviously. And from there, I'm I'm looking at Carter as having like the best combination of being, you know, just solid all around and also having that ability to become significantly greater later on. But if you want to swing for the fences and you don't care about security in any stretch of form, it's probably Trey Young. Yeah, I mean that's that's fair. And and look, let's set the table a bit and let's let's say Aiton, Doncic, Jaron Jackson Jr. Um, who else is there that's going to go ba- in the top five? Bagley, Bagley and, and Bamba likely. Bamba, they're probably your top five and six. Right. And then pick pick six is where things get interesting. Do do yeah. the Magic take Michael Porter Jr.? Do they take Trey Young? Do they take someone else? And that's where it gets sort of interesting for the Bulls. And I guess that's why it would have been nice for them to have pick six where they're not in that dilemma of waiting for the Magic to make that potential pick. But let's assume those five guys that I mentioned are gone and maybe... Maybe even Michael Porter Jr. go. He's gone. Maybe a little bit earlier too. So let's just rule right. him out for now. And of the names you mentioned, I'm probably tend to agree with your assessment. And I think it's I think it's fair to say that uh, Mikael Bridges is going to be the guy that you can plug in straight away, and you would hope to have some some level of impact. He's obviously more mature than than others. Um, and you know, from what he does well, defense, three point shooting, the Bulls need that. The NBA needs that, and he does those things at a really high level. So straight away, he should be able to do that for you, for your team. But pretty much what you alluded to, he probably doesn't have the upside that someone like Trey Young does. And you know, it remains to be seen if Trey Young reaches it. But if we're talking long-term value and the potential to reach that ceiling, then Trey Young probably has the most of those guys that are available. But again, similar to what you said, and the more I've been thinking about this, the more I'm leaning towards Wendell Carter Jr. And for the exact reason you said, he he's probably the best combination of someone that can help you right now, whilst also being the best maybe long-term fit. Because, you know, someone like Trey Young, he comes with a lot of risk. Um, if he busts, that's going to be a problem. Whereas someone like Bridges, whilst he will probably be a good player, I don't necessarily think his ceiling is high. I think most people agree with that. It's not necessarily a hot take. So maybe the best of both worlds in that sense is someone like Wendell Carter Jr. He didn't really get a chance to show a lot at Duke because Marvin Bagley came in and basically took his role, I guess, in in a sense. So um, I, yeah, I'm kind of leaning towards what you said there. And as, as, as the weeks pass, I'm growing more and more fond of someone like Wendell Carter Jr. I'm glad. I'm glad. I've been banging that drum for a while. Um, yeah, so what happened at Duke was Carter signed initially, and he was supposed to be the big dog on Gambus, and then Marvin Bagley reclassified, and that changed everything. Mm, exactly. Uh, what I really love about Carter was his was his ability to just transform himself into a role player and be a wonderful role player at that. Like he he just played under the radar the whole year. People look at his numbers. I've seen this on Twitter as well when when people you know, tweet at me like, "Why do you want a guy who averaged thirteen and a half points a game?" Well, he wasn't going to. He was going to average a lot more than Marty ba- Marvin Backley came along. They had, the, like, Grayson Allen returned. Tron Duvall was there. Gary Trent Jr. was a little bit better than people expected in terms of offensive production, at least. Um, like, 
yeah, that you shouldn't look at the raw stats here. You should look at what he did. I had a tweet uh, a week ago. I don't remember the exact numbers, um, but I, I, I've basically filtered out like assist percentage, rebounding percentage, and PER, and I filtered it through some pretty heavy expectations. And Wendell Carter matched up with only one player since I think 2009, 2010. And that was Ben Simmons. Wow. That was Ben okay. Simmons. Um, yeah, I right. think the, the, the criteria was a plus 28 in the PER, and I think plus 13 in the assist percentage, and plus 18 in the rebounding percentage, which is significant. Like That means that you have some serious all-around potential. And yeah. with Carter being measuring out well, as, I mean, he had a 7.4.5 wingspan. That's decent for a guy who's 6'10". I mean, that those are long arms. And he's two and over two and a half years younger than Mikael Bridges, for example. So for anyone to say that he's like a, a finished product is just ridiculous. Of of the projected top uh, 14 or so picks, he's the second youngest player there behind Jaron Jackson Jr. Like You look at that. You obviously look at that. And he, while he's not as nimble athletically as Marvin Backley, I don't think he's by any means a slouch in that area. He also played at 260 at Duke, which might be a little bit too high. He already slimmed down to 251 at the Combine. I don't see any possible you know, reasons for him not to be able to slim down to maybe 240 and still be very effective. And he's he comes off the floor fast, and he's got a solid postgame. I know people listening to this go, postgame in today's NBA? Well, sort of. You still need it. Like, look at Laurie Markkinen last year. When he was... When he only had the three-point shot and he didn't really have that threat of going in and punishing smaller guys, that was kind of a problem. You won't have that problem with Carter. Those two guys would just fit so well together. Both can shoot, marketing more so, and both can post, Carter more so, meaning you allow the other one to to develop in the other area while the team is moving forward. So yeah, I'm really dicking Wendell Carter. Yeah, I, I'm kind of coming around to him too. And, and I think one of the things that I've really liked about Wendell Carter, at least from listening to him talk, I personally haven't spoken to him, but from listening to him talk, you, he just seems like a switched on kid. And, and you know, you mentioned he uh, the fact that Marvin Bagley reclassified and in that sense, he became the star of the team and that effectively pushed Wendell Carter down the totem pole. He became more of a role player. And he did so without raising any alerts. He didn't become, a, a, I guess, a diva about it. He took it on the chin and he did what the team asked for him. And in that sense, I really like that about him. The mentality to do so, um, to be about the team. And he's, he spoke about being a team player, doing things that the team needs to win, being a de- defensive kind of guy. He screams like a prototypical Bulls pick from a Paxson era gone by and I always like those picks. So in that sense, I kind of really like Wendell Carter Jr. And I made a tweet the other day that I guess compared Wendell Carter Jr. to Taj Gibson. And I didn't compare them as players, even though some people responded to me in that sense, you know, saying that they wouldn't want to you know, draft <laughs> Taj Gibson <laughs> at seven. And that definitely yeah. wasn't what I was saying, but maybe I just no. didn't word it correctly enough. But effectively what I said was, or was trying to say was if the Bulls were to take Wendell Carter Jr. at seven, he probably would be one of those picks that a lot of fans wouldn't be inspired about because like you mentioned before, he's a guy that has a lot of all-round talents, but he's not necessarily great at any one thing. Right. Um, so in that sense, he's not a sexy pick. But 
in time, you will grow to love the player because he'll become a very good professional. And like Taj Gibson, he'll become a fan favorite because he may not do something at an elite level or be great or stand out at an all-star level at a specific thing. But he's from a complete package, he can be a total player and a total two-way player, which is something the Bulls desperately need. So that's where I was going with that comparison itself oh, yeah. more than their game. So, yeah, I'm really into Wendell Carter Jr., but let's move on because the next question that can, came through... Can I just through... finish one thought really quickly? Because you mentioned one thing I just want to touch on. You said that okay. he might not be a lead at, at anything. There is one thing that he absolutely has the potential to be elite at and that's rebounding there is yeah. that he could become one of those guys who comes out an average 12 and 13 rebounds like in his prime a game like he he has that potential he's a great rebounder on both ends well i mean and the bulls definitely need that particularly uh as someone like robin lopez origin uh ages they'll need someone else to box out and to collect those boards, Lopez himself isn't a great rebounder, but he boxes out. And if Carter, Carter Jr. can do that, then that's something the Bulls will definitely need down the line. But again, we've got a few Carter Jr. Um, type questions that have come in. So we'll continue the line of talking about Wendell Carter Jr. But in this sense, and we sort of answered this question, but not directly, but Martin Bodo at Bod Martin on Twitter, he asks, if both Carter and Young are available at number seven, who would you choose? I mean, yeah, I, I go Carter, but it's not something where I, I like call into the league uh, with with four minutes and fifty nine seconds remaining, um, you know. Or wait a second, do you have ten minutes in the first round? I don't remember. Is it five or ten? I don't know, but let's just pretend whatever yeah. that number is. It's yeah, going to be it a difficult five. decision. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it. You at least talk about it because again, Trey Young does have you know a, a very high ceiling. The thing here is, you know, how would he fare next to Zach Levine, who I'm just assuming will be back, and Laurie Markkinen? Like, you know, he's not a plus defender so far. We don't really know about his defense to that extent because his usage rate offensively was just insane at Oklahoma. They needed him to average 28 and 9, so he did everything. But his body uh, doesn't really project to be a, a positive defensive influence. Meaning you'll start out with Young, Levine, <clears throat> Markinen. That's not necessarily a great defensive trio. Whereas if you get Carter in there, I think he would balance offensive defense more. And I don't think he would Carter wouldn't take the same amount of shots. Like he would allow Markinen to develop a lot more by being this guy who comes in and takes the shots that are are given to him within the flow of the offense. Whereas Trey Young coming in, or even Michael Porter as well. Like, I think those two guys are just going to jag up a lot of shots along with Levine, um, potentially hurting the long-term development of Florida marketing, which has to be taken into consideration as well. I mean, you can't just look at a draft pick in isolation and ignore every other aspect of the current roster. You need to to have an understanding of how is, how would these players mesh and, and bringing in a certain guy, what does that mean for, for the guys already on the roster? And in that sense, uh, Wendell Carter is my priority, but I mean... Trey Young, you, you at least have to consider it, obviously. Yeah, I think you raised some good some good points there because you you often hear that you know you just take best player available and that's all you have to do. That's all you do. Just take best player available, worry about it afterwards. And whilst there is some truth to that, you raised some really good points there that you know you also have to consider fit because you'd be negligent not to. 
because it's going to impact your other players. And if your other players are potentially good prospects and that may negative to, negatively affect them, then you want to consider that. So yeah, I think it's it's not necessarily true to just say take best player available if Trey Young is that, you know, just work it out later. That may or may not prove to be the case. But to me, I probably side with what you're suggesting here. I wouldn't necessarily be uh, annoyed or not happy about the Bulls taking someone like Trey Young. In, in fact, if they were to do that, I'd be extremely surprised. And, and in some ways, even though I wouldn't love the pick, I would would actually be somewhat inspired by their pick because it is a <laughs> yeah. high-risk pick. And yeah. it's it screams that this team is trying to find the highest ceiling talent, which is a positive in itself. So from that point of view, I could get behind the pick. But mm. at the same time, you know, just thinking about my own profile as a person, I guess, um, I'm fairly conservative when it comes to these things. And I'd probably want to take the guy who I consider to be more of a a success or a surefire hit, I guess, or more likely to be a success. And to me, that's Carter Jr. So it sounds like we're both going Carter Jr. in in, in that scenario if uh, both Carter and Young are there at number seven. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that one answers your, your question there, Martin. So the next one I've got comes from Cuppy for Coffee. He, he writes in from uh, Reddit. He, he's got a five series of questions, but the one that I think that we should focus on relates in uh, around Michael Porter Jr. And, and it wouldn't be a Bulls podcast without mentioning Michael <laughs> Porter Jr. at some yeah. point. Right. <laughs> we have to drop his name somewhere else. We we ourselves are just being negligent. And I guess it's kind of relevant to, to be talking about uh, Porter Jr. because we got a bit of a news in terms of um, the Bulls are actually the one team that have actually had their medical team look after Michael Porter Jr. So they've done the uh, the physical on him and... I think his pro day was it was it next Friday or was it this Friday where he was having that event? I actually I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't but... recall if it was this Friday or, or or the um the coming Friday. But effectively, we'll be having a workout where all teams can go and having watch, uh, watching play, and then after that event, uh, the the medical records mm. that the Bulls sort of produced on Porter Junior. They'll be shared with every other team. Um, after that event, so that was an interesting tidbit that we sort of learnt. Uh, I think it was two days ago. So, but um, coming back to Cuppy for Coffee's question, it, it relates around Michael Porter Jr. And he says that Michael Porter Jr. is an enigma, which he is, mm. but it seems like this whole fan base wants this guy, which again, sort of feels true as well. What are some of the issues on going with him and what makes him not a slam dunk? So let's do a little bit of a quick profile on Michael Porter Jr. And, you know, let's talk about some of the things that fans are seemingly ignoring and, you know, are just pretty much assuming he'll be great about. Well, I think fans are assuming that he'll come in and be a Kevin Durant-type clone. And that is both an incredibly optimistic view of him as a player, and at the same time, it's doing him a tremendous disservice because, I mean, he's coming in with a surgically repaired back and he's he's very young. He's not really he doesn't have great shot selection yet. He isn't as fluent as KD and all these things. So um I, I think Bulls fans are are looking at at Porter as some sort of messiah savior coming in and, and I think that's worrisome. I think if if he's chosen, which he very well could be, I think you need to temper expectations a little bit. Um I don't know where you I, I know you know you you've talked about him, you're not know as high on him but you kind of understand the logic behind choosing a guy with a potential high upside you just mentioned that same thing with Trey Young 
The thing I want to ask you in regards is, do you think that Porter with the surgically repaired back and the, the scare of that, you know, becoming a thing later on, do you think that limits his upside as a player if he has to deal with a lot of injuries early on in his career? Yeah, it's an interesting question. And I guess that's why the news that we learned this week was kind of fascinating. The fact that one, the Bulls were the only team that um, thus far at least had done a medical on him. So I thought that was an interesting piece of news. And in that sense, you would assume the Bulls have the upper hand in, in you know, drafting a guy like Porter Jr. who it sounds like he wants to be there. You know, what the Bulls are targeting, an athletic wing who can shoot and defend. Whilst he can't necessarily defend, he can do the other things. So it sounds like both parties want to be part of each other. But the part that would really surprise me was the fact that he'll be making his medical records public, I guess, to the other teams. Not, not Maybe not his own medical records, but the ones that the Bulls put together. I thought he would have used them to leverage his way to a specific team that he wanted to get to. But it seems like he's going to be opening up that information to most teams. But um, to answer your question, if for whatever reason the Bulls were to take Porter Jr., they do a medical test and it seems like his back's going to be fine. But then, you know, for whatever reason in his rookie year, he has a recurring uh, back problem. Maybe not the same thing, but, you know, something that ha- happens to be related to his back, That that's going to be problematic. Uh, a back issue shouldn't be overlooked. And again, uh, thinking about some responses I've seen or, or gotten back on Twitter in relation to Michael Porter Jr., someone mentioned to me the other day, whose name I can't remember... But he, he likened Porter Jr.'s back injury and missing time at college to Kyrie Irving and you know him missing time with his, with his at his loan season at Duke. And to me, I just don't see that comparison at all because one, it was a leg injury, I'm pretty sure, with Irving. And in, in, in um, Porter Jr.'s case, it's a back. And if there's one injury that you probably don't want, maybe that's outside of an Achilles injury, mm-hmm. it's probably a back injury, particularly at oh, this yeah. young of age. So... I would be extremely concerned if Porter Jr. was to go down early, maybe not you know, for a six-month period, but even like two to three, four weeks type thing with a back injury. It would be kind of problematic and given his history. And you know, Larry Markin, for example, he had a few back issues this year. And you know, are we sure that that's not going to be a long-term issue for Larry? And maybe it is. Probably, hopefully, it won't be. But if it's going to be a, a minor thing that sort of is around there with Larry drafting someone like Porter Jr. who may also have those sorts of issues. Um, it was more spasms for Malakinu, more so than um, than Porter Jr. But I would be really worried about it, even if his records do come back clear. And um, again, going back to what I said before about me being more conservative when it comes to the draft, uh, I, I am worried about someone like Porter Jr. I might have a solution to you for that. You know, the, the conservativeness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know me. Of course I do. Um, <laughs> what if you had two top 10 picks? Well, save this. Save this. Oh, save, oh nice. Oh, I'm looking forward to this. Yes, okay. Because you're alluding to another question. So I mentioned Copy for Coffee had several questions. And one of the questions he did have, one of his other ones were, in a hypothetical trade with the Clippers, in what scenario is it worth to trade down for 12 and 13? And what would it take? So you mentioned two top 10 picks mm-hmm. there. Well, let's park your idea for a moment and let's talk about what yeah. Cuppy for Coffee just put on the table there, which is something that's been mentioned a few times online at least right. about the Bulls trading down from seven. The Clippers are a team that have been potentially interested in Porter Jr. and may want to take him at seven. Mm. And, you know, they've obviously got picks 12 and 13. So in what sense does it make some sense of trading down? And 
acquiring two picks. They're not both two uh, top 10 picks, but they're not far outside of it. Do you think it's right. a worthwhile gamble at all? I mean, if it's only seven and four for 12 and 13, or is yeah. it seven and 22 for 12 and 13? Well, in this scenario, let's just go seven for 12 and 13. I oh, probably yeah, wouldn't yeah. do seven and 22 myself, right. but so let's just, let's, let's go favorable to the bulls here. <laughs> let's just say yeah. seven for 12 and 13. Well, no, I am a full agree with, with you. I wouldn't do seven and 22 for 12 and 13. I would do seven for 12 and 13 uh, immediately. Because even though there is like sort of a cap after pick 10, there are still tremendous players to be had after 12, or sorry, after 10. Like there is a Sarir Smith and Shy Julius Alexander, a Troy Brown, Colin Sexton, Robert Williams, Kevin Knox. I mean, there are a lot of guys there and you can get two of those later on. That's that's not a bad thing. I mean, I, I think two of those guys could outweigh one good player at seven and then someone who's a project or something at 22. And in this scenario, you even keep 22. So you can really swing for the fences there. But if you walk away with like Sayer Smith and I guess Troy Brown, hell yeah, I do that. Yeah. And look, having two picks in the top, let's just call it, well, in the lottery, having two picks there and rather than the one, obviously you're extending your, your chance of getting a really good player. Maybe both 12 and 13 don't come on and become great players, but maybe one of them does. And maybe the other is decent. So in that sense, you walk you walk away with a very good player and one that's okay. But you've increased your you know your chances of finding a really successful player by trading down. So I, I kind of like the idea of doing it. I don't know if, again, if I would do it because I'm just conservative, but the, the logic itself makes a lot of sense to me. So... I don't know. I, I, I kind of get the idea. I could kind of get behind it, but it really depends on who's on the on the board. And I'll probably only right. do it do that type of deal knowing, you know, if certain permutations were were available. Like if player X is still on the board for seven, maybe I don't do it. But um, if he's off the board, maybe I'm more willing to trade down. So it really depends on the machinations of what happens before you pick. But it's an interesting option that the Bulls have in terms of trading down. But Let's talk about trading up now. And this mm-hmm. question comes in from Felipe Carvel Hayes on Twitter, whose name I always get wrong. Um, again, sorry, Felipe. But Felipe asks, is there a draft, tra- a draft day trade considered available that the Bulls could do that we'd be inclined to accept in terms of trading up? And he, he lists here the Hawks for their third pick, maybe Charlotte's pick in terms of um, absorbing their pick or you know moving something for... Pick 11 and moving uh, pick 22 to do so. So could the Bulls yeah. have a few options in terms of moving up, be it at number seven or 22? And would you be inclined to entertain those ideas? Yeah, I mean, yes. I'm so glad that he said the 22 because I don't think you move up from seven. I think the moving up is from the 22. Um, I think that's the interesting part because I have, and now I'm going to present to you my idea, Mark, because that was the, the key I have here. Denver... Um, and I've gotten confirmation on this, uh, are definitely uh, legitimately considering moving for, for Reed and are supposedly willing to pay the 14th pick to get out of his contract. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the Bulls have the cap space to absorb Fareed, um, uh, Fareed, Fareed's 13.7 million deal, I think it is. So let's assume that they send a second rounder to Denver. They get the 14th pick in Kenneth Fareed. Because yeah, and Farid is not going to go anywhere. He's he's you know he's 
a sheet money, basically. So the Bulls would now have 7, 14, 22. Let's assume that Trey Young, who is the one player the Knicks really, really want, um, is taken by Orlando and they're not giving him up. The Knicks would be inclined to trade down. So you offer 14 and 22 and maybe some additional assets like Denzel Valentine or something for ninth. So you end up with seventh and ninth in the draft. Theoretically, you could walk away with Wendell Carter and Mikael Bridges. I love it. I love it. I'm on board. Oh, um, every time you offer me up a crazy scenario, I'm generally... My, my default mode is to say, you're a crazy madman. What are you thinking? But on this occasion, I'm totally in. I love it. Mm. Um, but even if even if they didn't do that, um, I, I like the idea of getting someone like Fareed, even though you have to make him a DNP pretty much for the year. You could probably buy him out halfway, but you're getting the 14th pick. And you could do something like you entertained there. Maybe you can trade up from 14 to get 9, as an example. That's a really good idea. I like it. But even if they keep the pick, the Bulls themselves could draft Troy Brown at 14. And they could put him on the wing. And maybe they take Wendell Carter Jr. at 7. And then then all of a sudden, assuming Dunn and Levine can prove themselves as as the mainstay backcourt, suddenly your entire starting, starting lineup is set. You know, yep. for the next eight years or so. That's that, pretty that's, exciting. That, so that was actually my thinking in this because if you walk away with Carter Jr. and now for for my idea, Mikael Bridges, if you end up with ninth, you have Chris Dunn, you have Zach Levine, you have Mikael Bridges, Laurie Markinen, and Wendell Carter Jr. And here's what I love about that that starting lineup: you have three guys who aren't going to be you know heavy. Uh, scoring options like you, you, you know, Dunn, uh, Bridges, and Carter aren't going to be those type of guys who who take you know as many shots as Michael Porter or or Trey Young, allowing Markinen to kind of become that second offensive guy because I'm assuming Zach Levine is going to shoot there a lot like next year he's going to be the number one option. It's going to allow Laurie, at least, to get a lot of shots off. Zach is not going to get pissy because he doesn't get his shots. But at the same time, Bridges and Carter and Dunn aren't necessarily reluctant shooters. Like, they will take open jump shots. They will assert themselves on occasion. They're not passive players. And you probably find a decent mix from an offensive D-point situation right there. And the same could be true with Troy Brown as well instead of Mikael Bridges. I just wanted to aim a little bit higher. Yeah, nah, totally. I'm totally into it. I love it. I love both ideas. And, and importantly, you'd have four really good defenders on the court. In, in the example where you, you bring in Bridges, you would have Dunn, Bridges, Markman's a competent defender, and then Wendell Carter Jr. If, even if Zach Levine himself isn't a great defender and never really proves himself to be anything more than average, it's not necessarily a bad thing. You, you can plan around it because you've got four other good defenders at the other spots there. So... Right. I'm really into this idea, so yeah, I'm, I'm kind of down with it, and I, I have no, I'm not adverse to to moving up from 22. Uh, I'm happy keeping 22 because there's a lot of players in that range that I would definitely be happy with. But at the same time, if the Bulls want to move up from 22 to 14 by taking on salary, or even if that option doesn't exist, maybe they want to attach uh, 22 and Bobby Portis to move up. Yeah. I'm down with that too. I'm all for moving up. I I like this plan. I'm glad you brought up Portis because that was part of the idea as well was, and I forgot to mention that, like if you played that starting lineup and you had Portis off the bench in a six-man role, 
then you would absolutely have enough offense. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So, yeah, I like it. I like it, Felipe. But let's talk about moving up from seven. We talked about moving yep. up from 22, but do you think that's viable or not? And and would you consider it like... Let, let me pose a couple scenarios here for you. We, we've heard some rumblings about teams not necessarily being interested in Luka Doncic. It's seemingly <laughs> shaping up with yeah. DeAndre Ayton heading towards Phoenix. So, he had his right. work out there at Phoenix. He walked away from that pretty confident that... He's not going to be working out for any other team. He said he's going to go be taken number one. There was a few Phoenix Suns players there watching the workout. It's seemingly shaping up like Aiton, who obviously is a University of Arizona player. He'll be staying in Arizona. That's the way it's sort of trending. Maybe the Kings not interested in Doncic. In the event that Doncic sort of slides to four, and maybe that pushes someone like Jaron Jackson Jr. even further down, if, if there's some rumblings that someone like Doncic or or Jaron Jackson Jr. are in that, you know, that four to five to right. six range, if they're sort of sliding, do you think there's any chance here at all that you would move up from seven? Or do you think the Bulls can even do that? Do you think they could entice a team to take on seven and maybe Bobby Portis as an, as an, uh, as an option to move up to, say, pick four? If Luka Doncic slips to four and Memphis aren't in love with him. They should be. All four teams should be in love with Luka Doncic. But if Luka Doncic slips to four, Memphis is still open to trading that pick. I don't care what you offer. I don't care. Yeah. Seven, um, 22, Portis, Valance, I don't care. Go get yeah, it. Yeah, or just four, pick four, which you use to take Doncic, and you take on Chandler Parsons' terrible deal. Fine. And you give yeah. them pick seven. I do it. Yeah, yeah it impacts yeah. your 2019 free agency plan. But you get Luka Doncic. Yeah, absolutely. Luka Doncic, I'm yeah. all in. So I kind of like the idea of moving up as well. You know, we started this podcast on a rant in a very negative fashion, but I'm kind of up now, Mort. I'm liking this. <laughs> <laughs> but let's move on because we've uh, we've gone about 50 minutes here and I've still got half the questions to go. So let's try to zip through a few of these. Uh, so the next one comes in from Faras and Tati on Twitter. He asks, a lot of draft boards have Dante DiVincenzo going around the, the, the 22nd pick, which of course the Bulls own. Would that be a good pick for the Bulls? I, I think you get a lot of work, a lot worse. Uh, we didn't really talk about him in the last podcast we shot together regarding, uh, no. regarding the 22nd. Um, but, you know, he's a player. He can shoot. He's he's very explosive. He has these knacks for just getting on, you know, some sort of uh, run where he, he just runs off like 10 or 12 points. So so there is a component there that could be very electric and, and very dynamic. There's also a scenario wherein he completely falls through, I think. I, I will say as much, he's he's intriguing and you could find a lot worse in that area. Um, he's... He doesn't have a whole lot of potential left. I feel he's he's going to be. Oh well, well okay. He's, I thought he was twenty two already. He's he's twenty one. Um, so I guess there is slightly more than I thought, but it's not a lot. Like he's he's very close to to you know being one of those older rookies where you kind of know right off the bat what type of player he's going to be. The thing here with me is how will he transition to the NBA where. Uh, you know, wing defenders are that much more athletic and that much more taller. Like, would he be able to get his shot off at a consistent level? Would he even be able to hit those strides that he did at Villanova where he just, like I mentioned, ran off 12, 14 points in a row once in a while? 
I, I, I'm not sure that he has the dynamic potential when reaching the NBA. But having said that, it's it's definitely worth a gamble. And if he's chosen, I wouldn't necessarily hate it. No. Yeah, I feel the same. So if the Bulls did take uh, Di, Di Vincenzo, I probably wouldn't be disappointed about it, but I wouldn't love it. So right. I'd be kind of okay with it. But to me, he's more of a 25, 26-ish type pick, somewhere in that mm-hmm. range. Yeah. Uh, which the Bulls obviously don't have, but a team like the Sixers do. They've got the 26 pick. That would be their second pick in this draft. So, I don't know. Maybe you could swing a, a deal to maybe get that to go. I don't know. But, yeah, look, he's, he's obviously had a great tournament. He proved really... I think he surprised people at the Combine. Definitely surprised me, at he least. And, but it'll probably come down to individual workouts to see how he performs individually but even maybe against you know other players in that range whether he works out against those guys maybe he really shows out there and proves to be a really good pick at 22 we've still got two weeks until the draft so it's possible that happens so i don't know if he'll be a good pick there at 22 but i definitely don't think he'll be a bad one either but what i wanted to move on to now more this question comes in from uh, colin manning on twitter and and we mentioned there that maybe someone like uh uh, Di Vincenzo is probably more a very late first, but uh, Colin asks, is it possible for the Bulls to bu- uh, buy themselves a very late first pick? So maybe in, in the vicinity of 26, let's say, 27 in that range. Mm. Do you think it's possible to do that or are we are teams hesitant to sell first round picks at this point? I mean, I think if you're looking at an, an additional late f- uh, first rounder to be purchased... I, I, it's got to be Philly, right? They have so many picks. So yeah, I'm definitely sure you can buy a second rounder off them. Like they, they have a loaded roster and they have so many picks incoming as well. Like, and they have so many guys stashed overseas that at some point, like they're just going to be lacking roster spots. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if they're open-minded to it. Um, so uh, just making sure that I understood what it, what it, what's the question regarding buying a first-round pick or a second-round pick? Yeah, buying a first-round pick. I don't so think I, I, I kind rounder. of agree with you in around second-rounders, but first-rounder buying yeah. it straight out without trading something back, that kind of seems unlikely. Yes, it does. I don't, I yeah. don't think there is a possibility. You, 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 might, you might throw cash in in a deal with for 22nd or 20 sorry yeah 26th obviously um so if you like trade philly some crazy down the line second rounders and then you offer up a ton of cash maybe like that that could be had which would be considered maybe cheap if you get a decent player there but i'm just asking like what are you looking for at 26 that you can't get at 22 yeah so it's an interesting question i i think in the interest of time there, Colin, it's probably unlikely that the Bulls would be able to buy themselves a first-round pick. Um, and I'm not too sure if they'd be willing to uh, give away money for an extra first-round pick anyway. Mm-hmm. They they definitely like getting money for picks, but I don't know if they would be prepared to pay for another first-rounder when they've got two themselves. So unlikely, it would probably mean they'd have to send someone back in terms of a player, and it's probably something that they wouldn't want to be doing at this point. So at this point, Morton and I will say, no, it's probably unlikely the Bulls yeah. can buy themselves a first round pick. So thanks for that question there, Colin. Unfortunately, it looks like the Bulls are probably settled with two first rounders. And given their 
given that their roster is pretty full at the moment, they'll probably won't be taking more than their two first rounders forward anyway, given that they don't have their second round pick in 2018 anyway. But uh, let's move on to the next question. Um, this one comes in from Reddit from uh, JCivX. So he asks, what is a realistic timetable for the Bulls re- rebuild? Should we be expecting the Bulls to contend for a playoff spot this season? And if they can't make it, does that mean they are behind schedule? And should we be worried? I don't. I don't think the Bulls should go for a playoff spot this year. I don't. I mean, I know Paxson said, "Oh, we never want to be here again." In meaning yeah. the lottery, mm-hmm. but that's just naive. That is so naive. Obviously, rebuilding is not a one-year thing or a two-year thing. It's at the very minimum a three-year thing if not four, five, even six. It takes a long time to rebuild a franchise. And that's fine. I mean, if you do it properly, you have yourself a longer window. It's it's really, it's it's simple. The longer you spend on a rebuild and the more effective you are at getting the right components, the longer the future window becomes. Um, I wouldn't want the Bulls or any team in the NBA who's, who are rebuilding to rush through. I mean, look at Orlando as the negative blueprint here. <clears throat> they wanted to cash in their chips and did so for Serge Ibaka, who was there for like four months and who they ended up trading you know, for Terrence Ross and a second rounder, I believe it was. They had to, they moved up in the draft to get Alfred Payton back in 2014 and ended up moving him for just a second rounder to Phoenix. So they continuously had taken steps that push, pushed them back years and years and years. And the Bulls need to avoid that. Like they need to look at the Orlando model and go, okay, we should not do these type of things. We should, we should make better picks. First of all, we should not try to cash everything in. We shouldn't try to chase free agents because Orlando also signed Bismack Biombo to a ridiculous contract with the notion of, oh, we can compete now. Um, just refrain from all that and stay the course. I mean, and and in terms of being behind schedule and front ahead of schedule, I don't think there is. I don't think that component exists when it comes to rebuilding in, in, in the traditional sense. It's all about where are the players that they drafted in their development curve? What kind of ages are they in? Like, is each player on the right path? And if each if every player is, then I suppose that's what constitutes as being on schedule. I don't think there's a collectiveness here that you gauge it from. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And, and, and to, to, I guess, follow up on that or to add to that, I think their schedule in terms of getting back into the postseason is almost going to be set as to what they do in June in in terms of the draft, but also how that player that they draft sort of transitions to the NBA. So we can sort of sit here now and say our expectations probably should be low for the Bulls in terms of getting towards the postseason. But if the player they take at number seven really comes on and produces at a much faster rate than what we would expect at this point, then maybe you need to realign those expectations in December, January, once that player has sort of played a bit. I don't know. It's probably not playoff expectations at that point, but maybe you can move expectations up by three or four wins, depending at that point. You just you never know with these things. I guess it's similar to someone like Jason Tatum. No one really expected him to be this good this early. And I'm not necessarily suggesting the Bulls are going to find themselves... Uh, someone of equivalent value to Jason Tatum. But <laughs> no. in the event that, you know, Wendell Carter Jr., let's use him as an example, we, we've yeah. got expectations of him eventually becoming a good player. But if that sort of, if his own personal timeline is expedited, 
then maybe maybe that changes the Bulls' expectations this season. Uh, this this season for the playoffs. I, I I don't think we should be expecting playoffs. Um, but at the same time, it, it almost comes down onto the Bulls themselves setting those expectations. So you mentioned yeah. Mort there that you know Paxson alluded to the fact that they don't want to necessarily be going through this sort of losing uh, environment again. Mm. So maybe that's sort of alluding to them being somewhat players in free agencies. And we'll talk about this in the next question. And, and maybe they try to sign a guy or two to expedite the winning process. So if that happens, then maybe playoffs should be the expectations. But I, I'm, I'm sort of leaning to what you're saying here, that the Bulls shouldn't be in the business of rushing things. Let right. this grow organically. Get the best young players you can and just try to build a core up that way. And maybe not this season, but the, the year after, go for the playoffs then. And if we don't make it this season, it's not a devastating um, outcome at all. Right. Can I just attach a very important point as well? There are external factors as well as draft depth. For example, the 2019 draft is Correct. projected to be very, very weak. Um, and, and I want to draw a parallel here. The 2004 NBA draft, the year the Bulls got Ben Gordon and Luol Deng, um, they made the playoffs that year, actually, with six rookies on the roster. But that, that's a side note. They got two picks in, in that draft and gave up, I think, twenty the 21st pick in the 25, uh, 2005 draft, which was, you know, there, there were some stars in that draft, obviously, Chris Paul um, and, and, and Darren Williams. But the draft itself was not viewed as being deep. And I think that's why you look at this year and go, oh, we getting two picks this year, preferably higher up, should be a, a, a priority. Because otherwise, you know, if you are stuck with like the 14th pick next year in a draft that's, that's weak, that would also hurt your timeline. Like that would push you back a year. But if you get that rookie a year before and he develops along with rookie number one, um, you know that that might be a a significant step up. It it if you only draft like one first round you know, guy every year, I think that's gonna make the entire thing a little bit slower. I think yeah. there are years where you just need to push all push in your chips, not for not for established help, but for picks. Like just look at a draft gauge and go. You know what? I feel pretty certain about having two top ten picks, for example. Or I I I feel comfortable moving forward by sacrificing next year's pick. For this year's pick, um, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of planning to go into that that ultimately affects the the window and the the, the situation you're in. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a good point, and we, we've talked about trading up um, a, few, a few times in this podcast. And you know, to your point, trading in those chips or checking in those chips, maybe you are you go for two top ten picks if you can. Try to play out a scenario like that, and. You know, in doing so, maybe that does expedite your 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 march mm. towards the postseason. So, it's hard to answer that question at the moment. But I think if we're just you know speaking strategically or holistically, it's probably not likely that they're going to make the postseason. And I don't think that should be our expectations this season, uh, or for the upcoming season rather. It should just be about building that core and hopefully finding another really good player. And hopefully, guys like Dunn and Levine prove to be better than what they were last season and continuing to improve and if that happens then uh, we're on a good path but uh, let's talk well let's get on to the final question so there's two questions that I want to talk about I think I might merge them into one out of interest in time given that the topic relates around free agency so 
This one comes in from uh, Tremble01 on Reddit as well as Sir Brian G2 on Twitter. So it's in relation to free agency. Mm. And given that Woj during the week sort of dropped a tidbit there on ESPN that the Bulls may be sneaky options <laughs> or yeah. sneaky players in free agency, whatever that the hell that may mean, it's probably worthwhile finishing on this topic. And just talking for agency in general, the Bulls are going to be one of the few teams that will have 20 or more million cap space if they choose to do so. Mm-hmm. More, what, do you, what do you make about what, uh, what Woj said there? Do you think there's any, uh, I guess, substance to, a substance to what uh, he suggested there? Do you, do you even consider it a report or is it just mere speculation on his part? And, you know, based on what he said, do you think the Bulls should be players at all in free agency in 2018? I think Bosch just established a pattern. Like the Bulls do like to get ahead of things. And with Paxson saying, you know, what he said about, hey, I don't want to be here anymore, that would lead credence to the belief that, you know, he might actually swing for the fences in free agency. Having mm. said that, he shouldn't. Um, no. I mean, th- there's one guy I'm looking at who, who could be a thing. I know you don't, uh, you're, you're not on, this is where you, I lose you because you're not on that plan. But Mario Hosonia, who played in Orlando last year, He's an mm-hmm. unrestricted free agent because the Magic, again, the Magic, um, <laughs> decided not to pick up his fourth-year option on his rookie deal like because that's what you do with the top five pick if you're Orlando, apparently. Um, he's an unrestricted free agent, could probably be had for significantly less than, than a lot of other players who are of yeah. that caliber, and he's so young, so it makes it worthwhile. But mm-hmm. outside of him... I've gone through the free agent list so many times. I'm, I'm not seeing anyone of significant interest who's in that same age bracket as the vast majority of the Bulls' core. So I don't think it would be a good idea to use the, the cap space this year on getting a talent. I think it would be a good idea to get his Sonia and then do, as I mentioned earlier, which is just in regards to the draft, but that could happen in free agency as well, where you acquire a player for the price of a pick. Having said that, alluding to my previous point as well I think it would be dumb to take the first round pick for the 2019 draft because it's supposedly that much weaker I think you need to do it like now at this draft like within the next two weeks because the draft is the 21st of June like you need to kind of use up that cap space now so you can get an additional pick in this draft yeah, I like I like that thinking, and and I want to use our cap space to take on a contract. We talked about Kenneth Free before. Maybe you mm-hmm. get pick fourteen in doing so. Maybe Charlotte are willing to trade pick eleven for one of their bad contracts. They got several of right. them, so I think that would be a better use of cap space rather than signing, you know, some mid tier guy. The Bulls aren't getting LeBron James. They're not getting Paul George. <laughs> right. You know that that's not happening. So if that's not happening. There's no point signing, you know, some random player like Julius Randle or Jabari Parker. They're not. They're okay players, but they're not great players. And signing them to a, a number that you need to sign them to get them away from their team, it's it's not worth it. The Bulls don't need someone like Marcus Smart or Isaiah Thomas or you know these right. kind of caliber of players who are decent but not great. And you know then they might expedite. We just talked about expediting the the whole getting back to the postseason and you know how the Bulls should probably steer away from that thinking. But I guess that that's what gives this uh, report from. Woj a little bit of credence and I, I said report there and I, I don't think it was a report I think was Woj was just speculating given that the Bulls will be one of the few teams with cap space and, and as you alluded to it's almost cyclical that this team every you know three or four years try to attack 
or improve their roster by attacking free agency. But um, yeah, I look, I don't think they should be doing it, and I very much hope they don't do it. And, and like you alluded to, and you know, it's it's not something that you and I just co- uh, created here on the spot in this podcast. It's been it's been something that a lot of smart people have said that they should be trying to do more of those deals, like the uh, the Ashik oh, yeah. deal. You know, take on a yeah. bad contract, get in another pick, and again, add to your young core. Just keep thinking about that young core and building through the uh, the draft about. Or building a core for the next, you know, five to ten years, rather than trying to get Larry Market into into the postseason in year two, it's that doesn't need to happen. So, right. yeah, look, I think we've uh, we've beat the drum on that one, and hopefully, Woj is wrong on that. But at the same time, it would be extremely balls for them to do something like that. Mm-hmm. So, whilst I don't necessarily believe what Woj said there was fact or that it was a rumor as such or a report, we're still nervous. I'm still a little bit nervous because it does sound like something the Bulls potentially could do. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'm a bit worried about it, but I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt just for now. <laughs> they haven't uh, earned it, but that's fair. They haven't earned it, earned it particularly after today, but um, I'll, I'll give them that benefit of the doubt because I'm a very nice person. Yeah, well, that that you are. That you are. But I, I'm just, I, I think this episode is pretty special, Mark, because... I think this is the first time I actually proposed a trade idea that you immediately said I loved it too. I think that was a good I, one. Yeah, I mean, this is this is couples therapy. We're we're inching closer and Progress. closer to being completely in sync here. That's great. <laughs> well, look, I mean, you throw out a hundred uh, hundred trade scenarios, you know, one's bound to stick at some point. So, <laughs> you know, but having said that, I'm very proud of you for coming up with a good idea. It was it, oh, it really that. lifted my spirits after that rant that we went on to start the show. But um, yeah, yeah I, I like that idea. I like that but idea. Then go but, spread the word. On, on Twitter of my genius here, you know, the, the Farid deal. Let's get that thing trending. <laughs> yeah, nah. Uh, nah. It's not your idea anyway. It's it's it's, a, it's an idea that already existed in the ether, but um, I, I really like the idea of, you know, the, the added trade that you added to that. So that, um, That's the one I want because I'm, right, I'm on okay. the Carter, Carter Bridges 2018 wagon here. I want uh, both, I'm, man. I like it. I like it. I like it. Well, uh, look, let's wrap this thing up. We've gone on for uh, enough time here. It's always fun talking to you, Mort. I love this draft talk. It's, you know, irrespective of if the Bulls are up, up towards the top of the draft or not, it's always fun time to be an NBA fan. But it's even more fun when the Bulls are having themselves with a nice uh, nice top 10 pick there. But hopefully, mm. if your uh, theory proves true or your idea, maybe two top 10 picks. But um, mm-hmm. it's always fun talking draft with you Mort um, tell the people where they can follow you online okay they can find me at MSJNBA on Twitter and uh, on the podcast the NBA podcast which is very creative I know where my wonderful co-host Brian Saporic, uh and I do a lot of uh, NBA chit chatting about recent news and, and what's going on in the league so catch us up there do that and I probably don't really need to tell people where to, where to catch your 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 podcast or where you're on Twitter because you're, you're, you it seems like you're on here every other week almost yeah <laughs> um, so people are probably familiar with your details anyway but you're on the last podcast I believe which was the pod that we did about pick 22 and mm. just by chance you come on this one again so I, I thank you again my friend from jumping online and folks we'll be back again next week most likely to do one last draft wrap up podcast hopefully you know, touching on 
Well, I've done separate podcasts for pick seven, and I had a separate podcast for pick 22, but we're only two weeks away from the draft, and as we move closer, I probably had one more podcast before the draft, to- uh, focusing on what my final thinking should be for the Bulls in terms of pick seven and pick 22, and hopefully get another expert on to give us their draft takes to, to sort of see what the Bulls should be doing there at 7 and 22. So we'll be back again next Monday. But um, Borton, thanks for coming on, my friend. And we'll be back again uh, in a week's time. Thank you, Mark. I look forward to the next episode where you obviously will have Ricky O'Donnell on, as it sounds. <laughs> well, if he accepts. If he accepts my offer. But that is the plan. I didn't want you to allude to it. But um, you put that out there now. So I the pressure it. I, is on Ricky yeah, to come is. on. And um. If he doesn't come on, then people will need to just attack Ricky on Twitter and make him, make oh, yeah. him come on, I guess. Oh, yeah. No, no. <laughs> Ricky needs to come on here because he, he's, when it comes to the Bulls and the draft, like he's, he's, he's the Jordan. He's the Jordan there. He's the big cat. So uh, I look forward to, to seeing you reel him in for the next episode. Well, if George, uh, if Ricky's the Jordan of uh, Bulls draft, then I'm definitely the Luke Longley and um, I'm happy nice. to be Luke Longley. So let's do it. <laughs> Ricky, it's on you to come on next week. But like I said, we'll be back next week, Bulls fans. So I'll catch you all again next time. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now, they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.